You're listening to a podcast brought to you by international law firm Trowers and Hamlins, combining market sector thought leadership, advice, and ideas, helping businesses add value and prepare for the future. Hello and welcome to another um, episode of Trow's Talks Real Estate. Today it's a slightly different um, episode in that we a, are going to be longer than our usual 10 minutes. And the reason for that is that we've got a really, really fascinating um, topic and a great panel. I'm joined by Nick Searle, who is a partner of Argent Related and co-lead for Brent Cross Town Dev- Development. And Dr. Jamie Anderson of Bureau Happold, um, and also at Manchester University. And what we, what the conversation about today is around the placemaking and social value, and how Brent Cross is going to be developed um, in line with some of some of these theories. So, Nick, as a, as a welcome and as a start of a ten, um, placemaking and social value have, have always been, I think, at the heart of Argent-related philosophy. And looking ahead to the Brent Cross town regeneration, how are you looking at embedding these values into such a, a large scale project? Firstly, thank you very much for uh, inviting me on today. It's a really exciting project that we're embarking on now. And I think it's probably uh, better if I start just by actually reeling back the clock a little bit, because you know, we, we've, we've just kind of launched this publicly so that people can see what we're doing at Brancross Town. But it's, um, it goes back, um, firstly, through many years of learning at King's Cross and other developments, uh, and also just the five, five years of actually working on it since we first got involved back in 2015. As a business, uh, you know, you, you said that it, it's a philosophy that we have had for many years. King's Cross was underpinned by principles for a Human City, which is a very thoughtful document, uh, written piece about how King's Cross was going to um, embed itself into the city and be meaningful in that context. Uh, And on Brent Cross Town, we did a a similar thing a few years ago, uh, where after a whole series of uh, workshops, charrettes, hackathons, consultations, and various other things, we tried to distill down our thinking uh, into a very simple little document, which we call the handbook. And we developed five uh, principles around what, you know, how how we were going to think about this place. And and, and I say that very carefully because it wasn't about design. It wasn't about how we were going to physically lay the thing, the the, the development out. It was about how we were going to think about it. And those five principles were, firstly, it was clearly Brent Cross, and that was about how we would design and build for people. Uh, it was about belonging, where the philosophy was that everyone should be welcome. Uh, the third one was from the ground up, which was all about getting the right infrastructure in early. Uh, the fourth one was ever evolving. Um, and that's something we have learned, that there is no end product with these huge schemes. And the last one was deeply rooted. Uh, and that was around the sense that this is not an island. It is part of something much bigger than itself certainly in London terms and in Northwest London terms. So, you know, we, we've started this process by thinking very, very carefully about what we do and how we go about it. In terms of, you know, what we want to achieve with this, we, we are we're building a town. This is 180 acres of land. It's, it'll be somewhere between 10 and 12 million square feet of development. It will be home to many, many thousands of people living, working, hopefully visiting 
uh, and enjoying themselves. So in terms of, you know, what, what, are we what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to create a new fantastic town centre for North, Northwest London, a place that kind of gets the best of the other great sort of town centres and villages that we all know so well in London and brings the best of them together. Uh, we're lucky that we're, we've been given a, a 44-acre playing field as part of the master plan area. And that allows us to really put a very strong emphasis on sport, play, health and well-being as a central theme of the whole development. That's the, that's, that's the basics, if you like. Um, and we're really excited about just having an opportunity that so few people get in, in our world of development. I think I'm just saying from a personal point of view, I'm very excited about it. I mean, I, I live quite close to Brent Cross and um, it's a, an area that has needed regeneration, but actually in a, in a really sort of um, a, a different way than perhaps people have looked at it in the past. So I think it's that the idea of actually making it somewhere for everyone, I think, is 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 fantastic. One of the things that I think it, it, we struggle with sometimes um, as, a, as an industry is in those sort of long term projects, how you actually, I think, as you said, it, it, it's, it's ever evolving. It, it, it never stops. And so what do you think the key principles are to, to actually ensure the success of a project looking ahead sort of 10, 12 years time? Well, yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. The reality of our industry is that in the context of the speed of change that we see around us technologically and socially, unfortunately, property development is glacially slow. Um, even developing, you know, one building, you know, if, if you're developing one large scale building, you know, it's kind of five, you know, four to five years from your first thought through to opening the front door and, and people actually living or, or working and enjoying the, that building. Uh, in that time, a lot changes. Now, Brancross Town is probably going to take 20 years and very few of us know what the world is going to really look like in 20 years time. We can all hazard a guess at various aspects of how things are going to change. But the key to this for us is, is to maintain flexibility and the ability to respond and react to the changes as they come forward. We experienced that at um, King's Cross, and there are things that we are now doing which are actually changing the way that we started off. Uh, we're actually doing... Uh, we're, we're changing some of the things that we did first time round because we've learned and we've experienced how people actually use particularly the public spaces uh, and we're adapting them to suit. In terms of technology, you know, that's probably going to be the area where the greatest change takes place. And uh, as I say, you know, we've got, to, we've got to build into this enough capacity, resilience and flexibility to be able to adapt to those changes as they come along. So that's probably the single biggest issue. And that, you know, it comes out in the planning permission as well. You know, these planning permissions for these huge schemes are really, really important that they allow you the ability to uh, adapt to the master plan and adapt to the nature of some of the buildings and the spaces as you go along. Um, because you just, you just cannot preempt the future that far ahead. So that is equally exciting and daunting at the same time. But we've got some fantastic people um, on board working with us. And we're all trying to peer through to the, to the future. And, of course, 
the last six or seven months, eight months, however long it is now, um, have made us think again about what that future might look like, particularly in terms of work. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're taking on board all these unknowns and all these different uh, things that may or, or may not happen and doing our best to to accommodate them and design them into our buildings, into our public spaces, into the infrastructure that we're putting putting in. Yeah, that's 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 a huge challenge. Yeah, and I think um, I mean I've been doing regeneration for probably too long to so I care to think about now. Over the twenty odd years I've done it, and one of the things I think is a real challenge. Um, with my lawyer's hat on, is to make sure that those agreements allow for flexibility, because I've seen many agreements that don't. And actually, you're quite right. It's a living, live beast. It, it, it's not something that you can capture at the beginning and just just fix down. It's got to be able to move and grow. And I think that's, um, I think it's a real challenge for probably lots of different parts of, of the sector to try and make sure that we, um, in our own way, help support you to drive that forward uh, in the way we look at things. But, but couldn't, they, couldn't agree more, Sarah. Couldn't agree more. And, and, and lawyers have a bad name. I know that. <laughs> but <laughs> um, but it, it is. I mean, I think it's. Uh, I've been working with a, a local authority for quite some time now, and actually, they have been amazing about how they're actually looking to allow flexibility within the different phases because that'll be a twenty twenty five year project, and that, that's been really good because they've listened to the market. So, well, do, do, do you know what? I, I, I actually, I'd, have, with you having said that, I would like to. Just say that working with Barnet Council has been fantastic, actually. I think one of the things that is so important with uh, large-scale schemes like this is that you have, firstly, you have local political will to drive it. And this we, we are doing uh, Brent Cross Town in partnership with the London Borough of Barnet. And, you know, we sit on a joint board together as master developers, and they have not only brought the political will to the process, but they've also brought a really long-term vision of their own about creating fantastic legacy for their borough and indeed for London. They could have just tried to take some money and uh, and, and kind of run, as it were, um, but they didn't do that. They've stayed involved. They're very, very thoughtful about what they are doing and about what we are doing. And I think it will be to the betterment of the whole development that we have that kind of local, informed, critical thinking going into what's happening as we we go along. And it's not just left entirely in the hands of a private developer to interpret uh, a planning permission. Uh, So, yeah, I, I, I think it's worth saying just how important that is, not only to what we've done so far, but to to what it is that we will be doing as we try to deliver on the promises that we're we're now making. And I think a, a good point there is partnership. Partnership's often a um, a very misused word, I, I think, uh, in the world. And actually, a true partnership can really, really deliver something quite special, just as you've done on on King's Cross. Interesting in relation to placemaking and social value. It's something that I personally have been passionate about for for many, many years. Albeit it was called different things in different ways, but how the built environment actually affects people's lives and and, and health. Um, And we as a firm um, have done our own sort of thought leadership pieces in relation to how you can measure what we call societal value. But when we started this about probably about eight or nine years ago now, it was regarded as a quite, um, not just because a law firm was doing it, although that was regarded as very weird and innovative, but also it it wasn't really as high up on the agenda as, as we might have thought. And I think in many ways, the conversation has moved on. 
But in other way, ways, when I look now at, at things that have been published, that whole measurement concept is still very much in its infancy. And Dr. Jamie, I was wondering, how did your journey begin in, in, in terms of looking at well-being and looking at, at social value? And how have you seen that evolve and where you're looking to implement sort of maybe more a hard way of measuring it? Hi, Sarah. Yeah, well, thank you for, for having me along on this conversation. It's, it's a really, really good one. Um, and thanks for your question. So. Yeah, so I, I agree. Um, in in some respects, things have moved on, but I also agree the conversation is just re- starting, really, especially in, in regard to the science of well-being and the and the measurement of subjective well-being. Um, and this is this is one of the key issues that, that we're going to address at Brent Cross with the you know flourishing index. index. Um, uh, and I should say quickly that it isn't fully developed yet. So we you know we. We intend to undertake collaborative work with stakeholders in the local community. But I was going to talk about two key areas of the index that we would plan to utilize and, and try to frame that in terms of my own context and the, the journey that I've been on. Broadly speaking, the two, two areas of measurement at Brent Cross, firstly, a survey measure of flourishing itself, and that's flourishing in a, in a literal sense. And then secondly, the measures of the key flourishing proxies. So these are things that or factors that are thought to cause flourishing rather than rep- representing a measure of flourishing itself. Both of these go beyond what is routine, routinely collected for you know, a typical urban regen projects, especially the, the literal flourishing measure. But in terms of flourishing itself, in, in a nutshell, if I was trying to summarize, it's a self-reported measure of how a person is feeling. So uh, especially how happy they are and how much po- positive emotion they have. Psychologists often refer to it as hedonic well-being and it's also about how, how well they perceive themselves to be functioning so how competent or autonomous or confident they feel and that's often referred to as eudaimonic well-being and basically it's a feeling it's a combination of feeling good and functioning effectively and, and crudely speaking flourishing is, is high well-being is it's not just the absence of negative states like depression and anxiety Clearly, you know those things are important, and we we will seek to measure those as well. But flourishing is the opposite. It's it's more than just feeling not feeling low or just feeling okay. And for, for me, it's something I first came to almost exactly ten years ago, actually, um, when I was working as an urban designer. But talking to my uncle, who is a therapist and someone who who was beginning to translate the early science of well-being in, into practice working with his with his clients in Edinburgh and I wanted to I wanted to explore doing the same but in the context of urban design um, and I had the like immense uh, good fortune basically to be, uh, have an, an eminent neuro, neuropsychologist called Felicia Huppert basically she agreed to co-supervise an, an urban well-being PhD idea that I had and so and Felicia basically she's renowned for her work on well-being and in particular uh, her work on Euro- the European Social Survey uh, or the ESS which is what we hope to replicate at Brent Cross. So the ESS, really quickly, it's a, a repeated national level survey that goes out to as many as 45,000 people and sometimes as many as 26 different countries uh, across Europe. And it, the ESS is, is really interesting because it measures it measures negative outcomes such as anxiety and depression, but, but it really goes to town on the opposite of these negative states, you know, flourishing basically. And it, it goes, it even goes beyond 
innovative national level work that Office for National Statistics, the ONS, are doing here in the UK. So the ONS, they measure four, they they have four wellbeing questions measuring four different dimensions, uh, life satisfaction, anxiety, happiness, and a sense of meaning or purpose in life. The ESS measure goes even further than this. So Felicia and someone called Kai Ruggeri and, and colleagues, they They've used 10 questions measuring basically six additional dimensions of flourishing to what to what the ONS are measuring. And this offers this kind of really textured or granular dashboard, um, like a like a flourishing profile that could be used to compare different countries. Um, so for example, countries in Northern Europe typically come out on top when you know when the scores are combined, but also when you look at all the different individual dimensions as well. So hit it. The con- uh, this is in contrast to here in the UK, where we've been ranked as 15th amongst you know 22 countries, and almost rock bottom on several individual dimensions of, of flourishing. So calmness, engagement, vitality, we're, we're right at the bottom or second from bottom in, in the in the league table, as it were. And at, at Brent Cross, you know, we'd like to see a dashboard that resembles something much closer to the Danes, you know, and the Swedes and the Finns and, and um, in Germany, they're doing quite well as well. That's the main core flour- uh, flourishing index. But we'd also like to do something innovative in the sense that we'd like to add social flourishing to that dashboard. So whilst the the ESS measure is a strong measure, only one of the 10 dimensions uh, of, of flourishing is a measure of social flourishing. So for example, nine of the 10 questions are phrased to assess um, how a person feels about their own well-being you know i feel happy i feel competent i feel confident etc and those things are clearly important but they don't necessarily capture the person's relationships to relationship to others so things as you know how they feel about their sense of belonging um do they feel respected and safe where they live etc and so uh, having worked with felicia and people at cambridge for five years i moved back to manchester where I've been collaborating with University of Manchester researchers two days a week for, for five years now. And amongst other issues, we've, we've been addressing this issue um, of adequate, adequately measuring social flourishing. And so at Brent Cross, bringing this back to Brent Cross again, this is what we do, we, 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 we will do. So as well as having established metrics like on loneliness, for instance, which is a measure of social like discomfort, if you like, the index will also include a measure of social flourishing, which is you know, it's about life going well for us uh, and not just life going well for me. So, yeah, so, so this is where we have, our, fortunately, we, we have a, a new tool that's just about to be published uh, called Nourish. Nourish is an acronym for Neighbourhood Flourishing. It has six questions that measure social flourishing at a neighbourhood scale, covering six dimensions or, or concepts, if you like, such as safety, trust, participation, celebration, etc. So that's just a recap on the, on the flourishing. So got a core flourishing index which will measure a combination of personal flourishing which is the european social social survey measure and it's more about i and then social flourishing which will be about you know the we the we stuff as it were uh, and that and so we hopefully we'll have this, this dashboard that covers both things um, so finally i i mentioned earlier the use of proxy measures as well uh, we're going to look at some key proxy measures so these are factors that are going to influence flourishing rather than representing flourishing itself and they can influence flourishing positively or negatively and they're linked to the built environment or how it's how the built environment is managed and really quickly these 
um, are likely to, uh, be, well, they will be behavior measures or exposure measures. So for example, on, ex on the exposure side, this may involve tracking air quality um, at a local primary school before and after uh, they, they have, you know, they have a new school. On the behavior side, um, again, at University of Manchester, uh, Jack Benton has, has led the development of a really, really good new validated tool called Mohawk. Uh, Mohawk stands for Method of Observing Health and Wellbeing. And this involves basically standing in a space with a clipboard or a tablet and directly observing or counting and coding uh, three key well-being behaviors. So they are physical activity, socializing or connecting with others, taking notice, which is essentially people being mindful, mindful of their physical environment or their social social environment. So they might be you know, observing nature or art, public arts, or they might be just enjoying being around the sound of children and, and kids playing. But yeah, so, so as I mentioned earlier, it's going to be a mixture of those, those two things. So flourishing index of self-reported flourishing and then these proxy measures. But as, as I also said, um, which this is still work in progress. So we plan to to use uh, the UK What Works, the What Works Centre for Wellbeing's toolkit to, to work with st stakeholders and local people to agree what should be measured, also involve them in, in what understanding what, what is important for this context as well. So it's not just all about, you know, acad academic definitions and tools, et cetera. I think that's absolutely fascinating. And, and, and the flourishing, I, 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 number one, I love the word flourishing because I think that absolutely captures um, what you want a place to do to, for people's lives and for communities' lives um, and how we all interact. And I think looking just back on the past nine months and, and, and during the pandemic, there's so many, so much learning, I think, I think, hopefully, hopefully has gone on and understanding about what people and communities need in order to actually, um, for a place to actually work for them. So, so I think this is, this is really, really fascinating. In terms of how this will, so maybe, maybe this is a question for Nick, uh, or maybe both of you, question of how you will look at this in terms of success for Red Cross Town. How will you embed it within the, the process that you're going through? No, and, and will you just come back and keep measuring it at certain certain points? So I, I think Jamie has just brilliantly set out there what this is all about and some of the the, the background to that. I, I just want to explain why we got Jamie involved in the first place because you know as, as developers, you know, we, we did a lot of work at, again just talking about Kings Cross. We did a lot of work at Kings Cross and. We got to the point a few years ago where we, we were there was a discussion around social value, and we realised that we intuitively knew that we had added value, but we couldn't. We didn't have a, a baseline to measure anything against, and we hadn't really been recording things as we went along. So we had to do a very deep dive back and 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 work that back back through. And, and I didn't. We didn't want to be in in that place again. We're also in a world where. Every developer at the moment will talk to you about well-being, around quality of life, around thriving communities. And I didn't want us to be just another one of those voices using those same terms without having any substance to, to back it up. You know, the term, term flourishing in, in one way is just another term. But actually, as Jamie has just pointed out, and you've also articulated, there is a, a real science that sits behind this. And I think what we were really, really keen to do was to set this baseline of criteria and measurement and understanding and to of what, what, what we're dealing with today and the place that is there today. 
uh, and to actually set ourselves proper targets and to measure ourselves against those targets, to create feedback loops against what goes well and what inevitably doesn't go so well, and a process of continuous improvement off the back of that. And it comes back to this earlier point I made around flexibility. And, and that's, you know, this process is going to inform how we make each step. So I talked about, you know, the changes that will take place socially and technologically, et cetera. Well, this is another part of, you know, what's, what's going to be influencing change um, and influencing the need for us to adapt and evolve as we learn about what's going well and what's not going so well. So this is, from, from my perspective, this is a really, really practical tool that is not only giving meaning to the words uh, around the nature of the place we're trying to create, but it's, it's something that we can actually use to inform our design thinking, our management thinking, um, the way that we discuss things with local people, residents, workers, um, uh, and just have a really a genuine positive influence on, on the ultimate outcomes. Thank you. I'm genuinely very excited to see how, how, the, how the whole project will go. And I think as the Flotion Index and in all its forms actually uh, evolves, uh, and as you say, um, Jamie, it, it will it will evolve and, and will change, as I suspect, as, as you go through this. I think it's going to be a real example as to how you can actually influence, but also listen and, and understand how you can uh, adapt your developments to actually enhance people's genuine beliefs and feelings of how they belong, uh, and and as you say, sort of sort of the the social side of it as a community, not just as an individual. So, unfortunately, we're going to run out of time, and we and, it, and it's such a fascinating topic. I think we could go on for a lot much longer. Thank you both very very much for your time. We really appreciate it, um, and good luck because I think it's a, an exciting but a huge project, um, and uh, we look forward to watching it evolve. Thank you very much. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Trowers and Hamlins. Find us at Trowers.com and join in the conversation on Twitter at Trowers or find us on LinkedIn and Instagram.